It's always great to get back from vacation. If you didn't notice, we were gone for a little bit. Some people say, were, were you gone? Yeah, no, we were. One of the things I do, I, it's, it's, it's something about the lead pastor role. Every Sunday about noon, I go online and just listen to at least part of the sermon to make sure the service took place. Um, those of you that are, you didn't know I did that. The bus, business owners understand. And then I check on the website to make sure I'm still the pastor. I just do that once in a while. Then my key, I check my key when I come into, into, into town to make sure that works. Uh, we, had a, we had a great vacation. Uh, we had a little adventure with um, some off-roading, but that's a story we'll tell you at a later date. Uh, there was a road closure, and we either were smart enough to save 12 hours of a waiting time by taking logging roads behind some people, and um, it was an interesting experience. I can just say that. We made it okay. Judy was, yeah, was not happy looking down on this side as we were. Anyway, that's, we did it, did it in an hour, but we'll tell you more about that later. We are, we are going to um, look at prayer. We're going to do a series on prayer. Prayer is something many of us take for granted. We say a prayer at mealtime. We say a prayer at bedtime. We say a prayer before we take a trip, and we say a prayer when we're sick. We even throw emergency help prayers up to God when we're in trouble. It's like the sailor who was in trouble at sea, and he said, God, if you help me this one time and save my life, I promise I'll never bother you again. But prayer is far more than asking God's blessing on our food, far more than asking for a good night's rest or asking for a safe trip or healing from the flu or to find that parking place at the mall. It's more than an emergency distress call. There are various elements of prayer. Some of the different types of prayer are intercession. Intercession means, is taken from the, the phrase intercedere, which means to go between, which is praying for someone else. And many times we take time to intercede and pray on other people's behalf. Then there's petition, which is asking for a request for ourselves. There's confession. There's praise and adoration, which we do when we speak God's character qualities. There's thanksgiving. There's watching. Uh, a lot of different definitions of prayer. But simply put, prayer is just communication with God. Communication with God. And the fact that prayer makes a difference, and we believe that, flows out of something called faith. Faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Faith that we pray God hears and answers. It's critical. Well, today we're going to look at what God says about prayer in his own words. His own words. Solomon who is probably the greatest king of Israel in all of history, has just completed this enormous building project. He built a temple in Jerusalem as a place to worship the one true God. There was no other place at this time in history where people centered on Yahweh, the one true God. They built this temple. 
And then after they completed, they held this two-week festival to celebrate this incredible historical occasion. And the following night, God appeared to Solomon and spoke to him. God appeared to Solomon and spoke to him. And God's message to Solomon is recorded in 2 Chronicles 7. And that's the passage I want us to look at today. 2 Chronicles 7, it's on page 350 in the Bible in the rack in front of you. If you want to follow along or you can follow on the projection as well. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, starting with verse 12. The Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. As for you, if you walk before me as David your father did and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father when I said you shall never fail to have a man to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I've given you and go off and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot Israel from my land, which I've given them, and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now so imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That is why he brought all this disaster on them. The title of today's sermon is If. If. The nation of Israel was entering its most prosperous days. When you look at the history when Solomon became king and he built this temple, they were heading into this great time of prosperity. And the people experienced prosperity, peace, security, and justice. Families, families could count on jobs and prosperity. They could count on protection from invaders, plenty of food, abundant crop yields, three wagons in each garage, the guarantee of 2.5 kids and a dog. It was the American dream in Israel in 959 B.C. But God knew what happened to a nation when everything was going well. Everything is going great. Everything's going well. What happened? They forgot. They forgot. They, they forgot God. They forgot where their prosperity came from. And they would begin to replace the one true God with cheap substitutes. And since God knew their propensity and well-being was dependent, their prosperity and well-being was dependent on their relationship with God, he would constantly send Reminders, reminders. First in the form of prophets and prophecy. He'd give them verbal warnings. These prophets would come and warn them that they were leaving the one true God and their first affection and first love with God. 
And then if they were unheeded, he would send judgment or plagues or sickness and disease, drought, economic loss, interruption of their food supplies, locusts, raiders and invaders. And the purpose of these judgments, as we look at history, was to remind the people that it is God who is their source of prosperity. God is the one who gives all good gifts. And to get them to turn from other gods to the one true God again. Now, in the United States, we've experienced unparalleled prosperity over the last years. Home ownership, the highest in the world, the highest standard of living in the world, the best educated, the healthiest, the best fed, and the most number per capita of dieters, incidentally. But God has been sending us a wake-up call, especially the last two years. Our country is in crisis. Nobody has to tell anybody that we have a crisis. Divided as never before. Outright war politically between two major parties in our government. Washington totally paralyzed by the divisions. Truth is absent or impossible to find. And our media function only as propaganda machines and not telling us anything about truth. The corruption and outright lawlessness of our last two years is really breathtaking. Marriage is no longer between a man and a woman. Gender is whatever a person wants it to become. Restrooms are unsafe spaces for children, even in the high school across the street. College campuses having to create artificial offenses and safe spaces. Racism, which was on the wane for many, many years, is now at its worst. Marxism is infiltrating the church using code words of social justice, environmentalism, pseudo-equality at the expense of individual rights granted by our Constitution, given to humans by their creation in the image of God. It's because we were created and endowed with our Creator with these rights. It's a mess. And we need prayer. We need prayer. When in this state, God says to Solomon, and he says to us, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. There's an if and a then. There's a promise. There's a promise that's given to us. I want us to look at the if, the principles of prayer. Principles of prayer as we move through this passage. First principle is God will only act if we pray. God will, now God, the national expression of sin, leaders own the sin and they confess themselves. Sin is corporate, but confession is personal. Confession is personal. God is a personal God who listens to each of us as individuals. And each of us, is in relationship with God. We can't depend on someone else's relationship with God. Your parents may have a relationship with God. That's not good enough. Do you have a relationship with God? Your grandfather or grandmother may have a relationship with God. That's not not enough. Do you? Your spouse may have a relationship with God, but do you have a relationship with God? We're not related to God through others like a first or second cousin or brother-in-law. 
Someone said, God has no grandchildren, only children. Prayer is personal. He said, if my people, this personal relationship that he's called us to, a personal relationship with the living God. Thirdly, prayer is the primary expression of our relationship with God. Prayer is the primary expression of our relationship with God. It says, who are called by my name. If we call ourselves Christians, we have the name of Christ. And God has called us into that special relationship, a unique relationship. And we cannot be in a relationship without communication, without communication. Over our years in ministry, I've had the opportunity to counsel many couples Many whose relationship had just grown cold and distance, and they would say, I don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. And we get to the root problem. There are always kinds of, many kinds of things that are at issue, but many times it's because they don't communicate. They never talk. There's no communication, no relationship. The Bible often uses the human marriage relationship to illustrate our spiritual relationship with God. We're called the bride of Christ. And when we turn a life over to Jesus, we become married to him in an intimate marital relationship to Jesus. The promise to love, cherish, and be faithful to God, forsaking all others. God initiated this relationship, sent Jesus to make it possible, and we respond. But like those who get married and after the honeymoon said, I'll talk to you again in about 20 years. Never communicate. Some people come into that relationship with God, then they never communicate with God, or they let it grow cold, or they let it go to the side and, and just take it for granted. What happens when you take a relationship for granted? Pretty soon, you lose touch. You lose all that sense of love and relationship, communication. Like those who got married and after the honeymoon said, we'll, we'll talk again in about 20 years. doesn't work. We are, we are called of God not to rule-keeping, but relationship. There's a huge difference. Many people see relationship with God as rule-keeping, not relationship. It's relationship, personal. Prayer is the primary expression of our relationship. Number four, prayer is humbling. Prayer is humbling. It says they will humble themselves and pray. Humble says, I need God. If you're like me, you don't like to think you need anything or anybody. We're self-sufficient. You know, isn't that the American way? Humble says, I need God. Today is the 21st anniversary of 9-11. And I bet if I asked each of you where you were when you heard that jetliners had crashed into the World Trade Center's I bet you could tell exactly. It's, it's like I asked the question, where were you when you heard John F. Kennedy was assassinated? I remember where I, I, remember where I was. It's important events. We remember. But America did not need God until we were attacked on our own soil. And I remember the people of the country united in humility. They met in churches across the nation to pray and to seek after God. And it lasted what? All of two weeks? Two months? It was like we needed God for desperately for a period of time. And then we just kind of 
forgot about it. 9-11 was an instrument of judgment on America to remind us how much we need God. God does not cause 9-11. He allowed it. But the further we got from 9-11, the less we thought we needed God. What's next? What's next? All throughout the history of the Bible, we read of God allowing, even raising up foreign armies to fight and defeat God's people, Israel, as an instrument of God's judgment. Why? In order to remind his people how much they need God. I don't want to equate the modern United States with ancient Israel, but there are some real parallels in applications. And on a personal note, personally, God allows challenges in our lives that are too big for us to handle so that we will go to our knees and pray. It's humbling. I I don't like it. (laughs) If you're like me, you don't like it. God puts us in circumstances we actually have to say, wow, I guess I need to pray. I, I need God. I need God. It's like an elderly woman in one family, they told her, there's nothing more we can do for you. I guess we have to pray. And she says, has it come to that? (laughs) Well, yeah. Sometimes it has come to that. Time to pray. And it's humbling. Admitting we need God. Some people need God to intervene in difficult situations. Others must humble themselves by praying and admitting that all their success has not brought the promised happiness and fulfillment. God. Where does meaning come from? St. Augustine prayed, he said, Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in thee. It's humbling. We need God. Prayer is humbling. Number five, prayer is seeking God. Seek my face. What does that mean, seek my face? We have some very sophisticated facial recognition software running on computers at different parts around and and they can identify people by facial recognition some of the newest iPhones or or smartphones have facial recognition on it so all you have to do is look at the phone and it opens anybody have that okay yeah some of you do that I don't want anybody doing that to me I don't want him to yeah I'm going to I'll use a thumbprint or something else face recognition Also, we recognize a face. Now, does seek my face mean we're trying to recognize the face of God? It's kind of, it's a start. But it's so much more than that. Talking about seek my face. When a man falls in love with a woman, he pursues her, he tries to spend time with her and have face time, wants to be with her. Seek my face. When a young couple falls in love, they spend a lot of time either in person, face-to-face, or on FaceTime on the phone. I've watched it happen. FaceTime seeks his face. There's passion, passion for a relationship that causes us to seek the face of God. And when we seek God's face, it means not only recognizing his face, but pursuing FaceTime, not physically, but spiritually. We think it would be great if we could FaceTime with God with our mobile device. Actually, we don't need it to do FaceTime with God. It says, seek my face, spend time with God, pray. 
Pray. Spend time with God. Learn to know him. Another dimension of seeking his face, because that's, that's part of that contact. Another dimension is something called holiness. Holiness. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See, sin will cloud everything. So holiness is having a purity and open relationship face to face with God. Now, we think of holiness as right living, right and wrong, etc. But two challenges when we talk about holiness. One is our relationship is more self-centered than God-centered. In other words, I'm always looking at what's wrong with me. That's, that's not it. We, we need to look at what's right with God. The second one is we just don't take some sin seriously. We categorize sin. Some is acceptable, some is tolerated. And there are religions that label sins, venial sins and mortal sins. We don't subscribe to that as Wesleyans, but some people practice that. Some are just not as bad as others. Any Anything that comes between us and God is serious sin. And he calls us to have that face time unhindered, unhindered so we can relate to God. All sin affects our relationship with God. Prayer is seeking God. And what follows is the next logical step. Prayer includes repentance. Repentance, to turn from their wicked ways, he says. Getting right with God. Repentance, turn 180 degrees, turn to God. It's a change of heart, change of attitude. Repentance includes confession or verbally agreeing with God. Now, I have this in your notes. We can confess without repenting, but we cannot repent without confessing. We can confess without repenting, but we cannot repent without confessing. Agree with God. I sinned. I messed up. Prayer includes confession leading to repentance and turning back to God. And unless you're perfect every day, you probably have to do this sometimes, several times a day. Confession. Is there an area in your life personally in which you need to get right with God? Just let the word of God, anger management, gossip, lust, pride, self-righteousness, lack of compassion, Prayerlessness, self-sufficiency. Now, the big if includes humbling ourselves, praying, seeking God's face and repentance. But there, there's a then. The one thing that's beautiful about God, whenever there's an if, there's an end, a, a then. There's a command with a promise. There's always a promise with a command. And his promise here is absolutely stunning. The seventh principle of prayer is prayer touches God's heart. Prayer touches God's heart. God says, you do this, I will hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven. And here is more than just an auditory acknowledgement. If a guy's reading the newspaper, he can hear his wife talking, but it doesn't mean he hears what she's saying. Okay? If your son is playing a computer game, you talk, he hears sound, but he doesn't hear a word you're saying. If your daughter is texting your friend, you talk to her, she can hear noise, but no individual words. That's not how God hears. God hears, and God listens. And this move moves past hearing to his heart. It says, I will hear from heaven. It's a long ways away. He actually hears. He 
ingests that. He understands that. The Christian faith stands alone. Our faith, the Christian faith, stands alone as a belief that prayer, need, humility, and repentance are actions that prompt God to listen to our prayers. God will actually listen to our prayers. It's not about sacrifice, suffering, self-punishment, begging, or appeasement. Prayer, need, humility, and repentance. And he says, I will hear from heaven. I will hear from heaven. He'll hear you from heaven. That's a long ways away. Doesn't matter where we are. We cannot separate, be separated from this God who listens and hears to our prayer. He said, I will hear you. Eight, prayer restores relationship. God says, I will forgive their sin. I will forgive their sin. Exodus 34, 6 through 7 says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation. Says he is compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, and love to thousands of generations. Thousands of generations. The contrast is punishing sin to the third and fourth generation. Another version says, of those that hate me. But he blesses and loves the thousands to thousands of generations. Forgiveness. It's not just guilt feelings. It's real guilt. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Prayer restores relationship. Jeremiah 31.33 says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. It's a description of God sending the Holy Spirit to live in us. Happened on the day of Pentecost. To change our hearts, write on our hearts, become part of us, and restore that relationship with God himself. Restores that relationship with God, that Holy Spirit inside of us. Restoring that relationship with God the Father. So prayer restores our relationship with God. Number nine, prayer moves God to action. I will heal their land. Our land needs healing. Our land needs healing. Sick with sin, with perversion and immorality. And God is not saying that all the evil people need to change first. When we look at all the evil, we tend to go, look at all the evil things. Look at those people out there. What does God say? If my people. It starts with God's people. It starts with the church. It starts with us. My people who are called by my name. If they pray, I will act. This is a call to action. The most important thing you can do with your time is pray. The most important thing we can do with our life is pray. The most important activity of the church, this church, is and must be prayer. Prayer permeating every part of our ministry. We can fill our time 
doing church. Or we can make a difference and pray. Our mission is to love God, love people, and be transformed. It's accomplished in many ways. But mostly we can ask God to accomplish the impossible through you and you and you and you, all of you, by prayer. Ezekiel 22.30 says, I looked for a man among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. But I found none. If my people pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you accomplish your will and your way in and through your people. And I pray that you would envision us individually and as a congregation in how we can pray. We can do all kinds of things to help heal this land, but we must start with prayer. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to quicken our hearts in that, in Jesus' name.